Amen. Thank you, Barbara, for reading that. I'm excited to be here with you this morning. Uh, as he said, my name is Chris, and I am the pastor of Family Ministries and Missions here at Church of the Valley. I actually have one last Sunday today to finish at the church that I am going to end my time there today, so I won't be here for takeaways or anything after the sermon. We've gotta, I've got to go back over and preach there one more time. But given that I've got to spend some time with the elders and with the staff, they've heard some of my story but Tim had asked me, and I agreed, that it would be important for you to hear a little bit about me so you can get to know me a little bit better. And so I'm going to share with you uh, not only my testimony of how I came to know Christ as Lord, I came to receive him as Lord, but also some of the other things that God has done in my life. Uh, so uh, first, what I want to share with you is in 2 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 through 4. God's holy word says this. For what I received, I passed on to you as a first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. I am a product of being a church kid. And what I mean by that is there was never a time in my life growing up that I was not consistently going to church. I grew up in a strong Christian home where it was not an option to go to church. As a young boy, I didn't really mind. There were friends, there was Kool-Aid, there were cookies, and there were fun activities. When I was in middle school and a teenager, there were girls. I remember at a young age praying to receive Jesus Christ as Lord with my dad kneeling next to his bed. And there was never a time in my life where I did not believe the truths of Scripture. But I can honestly say that it took quite some time after that moment to really put into practice what I had heard. I spent much of my time in church up until middle school a pretty compliant and complacent so-called Christian. It was really in middle school and high school that I began not to care as much about going to church except for the girls. And I can't say that there was ever a time in which I was openly defiant and rebellious but especially entering high school, I simply didn't care to pretend to follow the things of God for some time. I got deep into the heavy metal scene. Uh, Megadeth, anybody? Metallica. Iron Maiden was my favorite band in high school. And I don't recommend it, by the way. As a high schooler, for the first time, alcohol probably touched my lips when I was age 16. And I spent a great many weekends drinking for the purpose of getting drunk. And all the while, I was holding this or hiding this from my parents because if they found out, I would have been in a lot of trouble. It would be late in my high school time that the church that we were attending would get a new youth pastor. And I would go on a mission trip because of a girlfriend, and I wanted to spend time with her. But I found myself confronted during that trip with needing to surrender the things in my life that were keeping me from walking faithfully with God. And I had made a commitment on that trip to do things differently, and I came back committed to truly live out the reality of being a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, and the new is here. I don't think it was until after that trip that I truly understood the depth of this verse. 
I had a lot of knowledge of God, but no thriving relationship with Him. I had gone through programs like Awana, which were designed to memorize Scripture verses. But for the first time, I really felt like receiving Jesus Christ as Lord was something that needed to change, not just the way that I lived, but my attitude and general outlook on life. But none of these things were done for the purpose of gaining the favor of God but for the purpose of godliness. One of my favorite all-time books is Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life, written by Dr. Donald Whitney. He said this. He said, whatever the discipline, its most important feature is its purpose. Just as there is little value in practicing the scales on a guitar or piano apart from the purpose of playing music, There is little value in practicing spiritual disciplines apart from the single purpose that unites them in Colossians 2, 20-23 and 1 Timothy 4, 8. And that purpose is godliness. Thus we are told in 1 Timothy 4, 7, and this is the New American Standard translation of that, to discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness. From that point on in my life, I became very focused It would take a drastic turn to focus on the things of God and service to Him. I would be asked after graduation of high school to stay back as a ministry intern. And that would be during that time that I would commit my life to full service to the Lord. It would be where I would eventually meet and marry my first wife, Catherine, who would give birth to our son, Matthew, who's sitting here now. But nothing could prepare me for what would happen later in life. I'm going to switch gears now and tell you about a little bit of my testimony about God's goodness. Psalm 145, 17. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and faithful in all he does. Now, this is how the NIV states it, but I'm just going to, just going to tell you. It's not going to appear, but I'm going to tell you how the ESV says it. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. That's how I've memorized it. In the summer of 2010, Catherine, Matthew, and I would move to Louisville, Kentucky. By the way, it has to be pronounced Louisville or Louisville. If you are in Louisville, Kentucky, and you say Louisville, expect to be assaulted. (laughs) I would begin my studies at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. I had long been convinced that I needed to further my studies, and at this time, it was my top seminary choice. And so having been accepted into the master's program, we moved our family to Kentucky from Colorado, by the way. Catherine would get a job in the school system as the primary breadwinner, and I would work a side job at Chick-fil-A, which I affectionately call God's chicken house, to make a little bit of extra money. I have a tissue up here, so bear with me. On May 13th, 2011, I would drop her and Matthew who was one at the time, off at the airport so that he could travel, they could travel to Boulder, Colorado to celebrate with her family her baby sister's bridal shower. I would work a late shift at Chick-fil-A that night, talk to her briefly on the phone, and then go to bed because I was working early the next morning. The next day I would be pulled off my duties in the kitchen to be taken in the office by a manager, a local chaplain, and an officer to be told that she passed suddenly and unexpectedly in her sleep. From all indications, she had simply fallen asleep and never woken up. 
An autopsy and blood work would reveal no firm conclusions, but I would also find out later that this kind of thing is more common than people realize. A young, relatively healthy woman had passed away and there was simply no explanation for it. Psalm 145, 17. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and faithful in all he does. I can honestly say without a doubt that that was the hardest thing up until this point I've ever had to go through in my entire life. At 29 years old, I became a widower and was left with the responsibility of raising a one-year-old son of my own. Now, I had a huge support in my seminary, the church that we were at, and family, but ultimately, I was tasked with some responsibilities I never thought would have to be mine alone. And it was during that time that I believe Psalm 145, 17 was given to me as my life verse. If I were to just sum up that verse in one phrase, it would be this, our God is consistently good. And that had to be true given what I had gone through and what I would go through the rest of my life. Circumstances cannot dictate the goodness of God. But I would grieve. I would lose sleep. I remember telling my mother-in-law at one point, I got a good night's sleep last night. And she said, well, what's a good night's sleep? And I said, five and a half hours. Because up until that point, it was two hours a night. but I would be refined. I would be refined by the fires of tribulation, ultimately more convinced today than ever before that the Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind or faithful in all he does. But the next year, I would meet a wonderfully godly and beautiful Ukrainian woman named Tanya who will appear on the screen here. Tanya is the woman I now call my wife of almost nine years, and I could not be more honored to have her by my side. She has raised Matthew as her own son and is also mother to two other children who are twins that we adopted as babies and are in the preschool children's ministry class today. I was challenged early in my life and during that time of grief with whether or not I believed the word of God to be true. Because look at what the Word of God has to say about itself in Hebrews chapter 4. It's alive and active. It is sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. And that knowledge, that realization comes through the Spirit of God that is placed inside of me and all who've received Jesus Christ as Lord. Our God is consistently good, and it's this God that has brought us His Word that we can dive into together, collectively, as the body of Christ. But if you are here today, and you don't consider yourself a part of this body or a the body of Christ, because you've not yet received Jesus Christ as Lord, I would hope and pray that by the end of today, you would be convinced that He is who He said he was and is, and who the Bible says he is. So with that, I want to steer us back to our series of joyous grief, uh, but our title, actually, excuse me, title uh, is Joyous Grief Today, and our series, in Jesus' name we pray, amen.
because I want to go back to the Spirit of God. I want to, I want to talk about this. I want to unpack, a, unpack this, because when we see it here, we see it clearly addressed. And, and what we see is that only the Spirit of God can enlighten us to the truth of God's Word. So we find, to really, one of, the, one of the first main things I want to say to you today is this, that the reality of the resurrection mixed with the pain of crucifixion brings joyous grief. Look at what it says once again in verse 16. It says, Jesus went on to say, in a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me. Now, what we know just contextually, because we can read forward, we get the end of the story, is that Jesus is talking about his crucifixion. But in this, he's also displaying his divinity. In other words, he's saying, I'm God because I know what's going to happen. He's not saying, I might be gone. He's not saying, I'm planning a trip and hopefully I get to go. But he's actually saying, you will see me no more. I will be back. One of the most popular movies of my childhood was Terminator 2. I know, weird segue, huh? Thought we were talking about the Spirit of God, Chris. But what's one of the most popular lines from that movie? I'll be back. Say that with me. I'll be back. Jesus said it first. Now, the T-800, it's T-800, right? Did I get that right? TS-100? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. He, he knew it was that model of Terminator. I know I'm, I'm kind of geeking out a little bit on that, but he, he, he kind of had a good idea. He'll be back. Jesus, he's like, no, I, I know. I, I know what is going to happen. But he knows what's going to happen, but they don't know what's going to happen. And we see that clearly because what does it say once again in verses 17 through 18? He, it says, at this, some of his disciples said to one another, what does he mean by saying, in a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me because I'm going to the Father? They kept asking, what does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he is saying. What does he mean happens two times? We don't understand happens one time. They, just, they, have, they are clueless to what Jesus is talking about, which happens pretty consistently in the Gospels. Jesus says something, and they're like, huh? I don't get it. They have no idea. But then we get to see Jesus' response in verse 19. Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this, so he said to them, are you asking one another what I meant when I said in a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me? Jesus is saying, you don't get it? You don't understand it? Their, their eyes were, were not open yet. The, the Spirit of God hadn't really enlightened them yet. In fact, a few weeks ago, Tim would say this, the Holy Spirit opens our eyes to the solution to our sin, which is the Son of God. But we know the Holy Spirit enlightens us to many other things, right? Not just the solution to our sin, but, but many other things. And so Jesus goes on to explain to them. Look again in verse 20 and 21. It says, Very truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, and here's where we get joyous grief, but your grief will turn to joy. 
That's what I found in that season of grief for me. My grief was turned to joy. And then it goes on to say, a woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come, but when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. Jesus is saying, look, the end result to get there is going to be painful. But the end result is amazing, is wonderful, is spectacular. And although the world will rejoice meaning they will rejoice that I've been crucified, that I'm gone, that I'm out of their way, this inconvenience. You will grieve. That grief will be turned into joy. And then he goes on in verse 22. He says, so with you, now is your time of grief. But I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. In that day, you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Grief into joy again. But, but, but what about this statement, in my name? What is Jesus really saying there? Up until that point, they haven't really been praying in Jesus' name. They will be praying, though, in Jesus' name, as they had not yet done to this point. This is kind of a looking forward to. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. And we know this because the Spirit of God will be given to them, and the Spirit of God will, will be to what? Testify. Testify. I didn't plan that, but I just I had to do it, especially since I have a mic on my, my head right now. You're welcome. John 15, 26 and 27, just a couple of weeks ago. When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me, and you must also testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. Testify of Jesus. Testify in Jesus' name. Amen. The name of our series of John. And then in verse 24, until now you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. Look at what it says in John chapter 1, going all the way back to the beginning of this series. John chapter 1 and verses 12 through 13. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a, hus- or a husband's will, but born of God. That is how our joy will be complete, being born of God. I could not find joy in the midst of my grief apart from a relationship with God. And it wasn't just that, that, that I got Tanya, although I rejoice in her. Because getting a new spouse doesn't take away the grief of a loss. Has it gotten easier over time? Absolutely. But this last year was 10 years since she passed, and I wept. But even in that grief, there was joy because I know that Christ died for my sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried and he rose again on the third day according to the Scriptures. My Savior lives, and I am a child of God. God gave me that right because of Jesus. That is how my joy is complete, and that is how your joy can be complete. 
And actually, in the ESV study Bible, it says this about this particular verse. It says, his name refers to all that is true about him. Therefore, the totality of his person. So it's not as though Jesus is saying, you can ask anything in my name and you will get it. What would I ask for? Maybe a full head of hair. Kyle, I don't know. We'll talk afterwards. We'll, we'll see. It's not about that. It's not a genie in a bottle, which we've addressed previously as well. It, it's knowledge of, understanding of his person. The totality of his person, in that we find that, that Jesus was and is the Messiah, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. And we can look at the Word of God and be enlightened to these truths and rejoice in the clarity of them. But not only that, we too, kind of a, kind of a second major point I want to drive home to you, we rejoice that Jesus made the gospel clear to the apostles so it can be clear to us. Look at what he says in verse 25 once again. Though I've been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language but will tell you plainly about the Father. The I don't get it moments is what Jesus is saying. Those are going to disappear. Those are going to be gone. And, and here's an example of Jesus speaking plainly. Look at Acts chapter 1, verse 3. When it says, after his suffering, it's talking about Jesus, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. And we know he spoke plainly. He appeared to them. This is, this is evidence that Jesus did, in fact, rise from the dead. Verse 26 and 27. In that day you will ask in my name. I'm not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. Again, we see this asking in Jesus' name. As he goes to the Father and the Spirit has come, we are told the advocate that we addressed earlier in John. Things become clear. We are loved by the Father because we have loved the Father because we love Jesus. They're connected. Now, this is not a slide, but, but Tim did say this recently. It says, finding your identity in the person and work of Jesus Christ rather than your own self-righteousness. We decrease, and he increases. And then God looks at us and sees Jesus. We love the Father because we love Jesus. What John 5.18 says, for this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. What the reason was is just before that, in verse 17, Jesus said this, my father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. So Jesus had made this statement, and it says they all the more tried to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. COB people, attenders, participants, 
the leaders of Jesus' day understood clearly that Jesus equated himself with God. Now, you can say, I don't believe Jesus was God. I don't believe he was the Messiah. But you have to at least be honest about the reality that Jesus said he was the Messiah. Jesus said he was equal with God. And everybody around him, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, understood that, which is why they wanted to and would eventually crucify him. But it was all part of God's plan. But in this, in this joyous grief, Jesus again says, look, I'm headed out. Verse 28, he says, I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I'm leaving the world and going back to the Father. Acts chapter 2 and verse 32 through 33. Now, what this is, just contextually we want to understand this. This is Pentecost. This is when the Holy Spirit comes and the Spirit is poured out on his people. And Jesus is preaching. He's, he, he's preaching a sermon. He's going to testify. I had to do it one more time. He says, God has raised this Jesus to life. And we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. Jesus came and he went back. I am a native of Colorado. Something you may or may not know about me. Some of you have found out because uh, I have a Denver Broncos mask. And you're going, what are you doing here? That's not normal. I rejoice when, like, on the two occasions I've been here, I've seen somebody wearing Broncos gear. Not here, here, but around the area. Now, it has been almost three years since any of us have been back since we moved away from Colorado. Life happened. COVID-19 happened, right? We didn't go back when we were hoping to. Uh, we hope to go back soon. Around here, I'm still very directionally challenged. So in Colorado, I, I grew up in the Den what's called the Denver metro area. So the mountains are west. So you could tell me it's east of there or it's south of there, or it's north of there, and I'd be like, good. If you ask me where we live directionally from here, I'll be like, that way. Well, is your, and we found, we found a house that we're going to be moving into, and so if you ask me, like, well, is it, it's in San Jose, was it West San Jose? I don't know, it's San Jose. Don't ask me west. I'll plug it into my phone to get there still. I have no idea. When I go to Colorado, in most places that I'll go, I don't need my phone to get me there. I, I just know how to get there. I know where the, the Broncos Stadium is. It's the most important location, Daniel. I get it. I, I know how to get to my dad's house. I know how to get to my in-law's house. I, I don't need my GPS because I'm from there. But much more than that, when Jesus says, He's going back to where he came from. That's not just a place he grew up. That's not just like he calls it his homeland. That's in and of itself a statement of divinity. He's saying, I was already with the Father. I am God. And I'm going back, but I'm going back to turn your, to turn your grief into joy. 
He's going back. But to get there, he would suffer a great deal of pain, shame, and the weight of our sin. But we know that that's not the end of the story. And thanks be to God that it wasn't the end of the story. You know, none of us here will likely face death by crucifixion or really even persecution as many of our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world will or are currently facing. But that doesn't mean we're not going to face trouble or haven't already faced trouble. Trouble in this life is inevitable. But to, a, to kind of a third major point I want to drive home to you, trouble in this life can never be overshadowed by the joy of having received Jesus Christ as Lord. What does it say in verses 29 and 30 once again? Jesus' disciples said, Now you are speaking clearly and without spiggers, figures of speech. I don't even, I made up a word. Now, we can see that you know all things and that you do not even need to have anyone ask you questions, and that makes us believe that you came from God. Jesus, we get it now. Thank you. You're speaking in riddles. We understand it now. It's clear to us now. But Jesus' response is, well, good, let's go. He actually goes in verse 31, do you now believe? It's almost as if you hear Jesus, you you, you finally get, like just now you get it? He says then, he follows up their belief with a statement of, whoa, A, a time is coming and in fact has come when you will be scattered each to your own home. You will all leave me alone, yet I am not alone for my Father is with me. You believe, but you're going you're gonna to abandon me, is what Jesus is saying. You're going to turn away from me. But the beauty in that for us, because we get the full revelation of God in Scripture, is Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were being scattered, while we were turning away from Jesus, while we were, like Peter, saying, I, no, I wasn't with him. I have no idea who he was and even cursed when somebody asked him the third time. Christ died for us. I love my dad. He's quirky, so am I. But he loves the Lord. He, he, was, he was a very firm disciplinarian, not abusive in any way or, 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 or anything like that. I, I'm told that his dad was much more a, like as a kid, don't you dare question what I just told you to do. A very firm hand. And, and, and so when I, when I say some of the things I did in my testimony, if I'd been caught, like I would have been in so much trouble. My, my older brother and younger sister were just stupidly rebellious sometimes. And what I mean by that is I was much more strategic in my sin. It's not something exactly I want to brag about. But I learned from their mistakes and hid it from them because I didn't want to get caught because they did. But, but as I had come out of all of the things that were keeping me from walking with the Lord, 
I went on a business trip with my dad one summer. So we were living in Colorado. We had family in Kentucky and Tennessee, and he was going on a road trip for business to, to do like some sales thing or something that was in. Uh, some of you have been in sales know or have family who have done that. You know what I'm talking about. And so I asked him if I could go with him because I wanted to see family. I thought it would be kind of cool. And on that road trip, he was driving, so I thought maybe I'm safe because we're going 80 miles an hour and he can't you know, do anything too bad on the highway. I just decided to open up. I told him about the drinking, I told him about the partying, I told him, I told him everything. And so during this time, I am terrified of how he's going to react to all this, because I, I, I really don't know. And so my dad just kind of processes for a few seconds and says, you know what, Chris, you're walking with the Lord faithfully now, um, that's all behind you, I forgive you, thank you for telling me. I didn't, I didn't even get grounded. And like for me to not get grounded in that moment was huge. But it goes back to 2 Corinthians 5.17. Here's what my dad was saying to me. You're in Christ. The new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. He was essentially saying, look, you're not this guy anymore. And that's Okay. Because Christ has made you new. In this statement, Jesus says, my Father is with me. Again, it's Jesus saying, God is my Father. I am God. And then we get to the verse that probably in this section is the most popular verse. It's on shirts. It's appeared on bumper stickers. It's been on backgrounds, probably in Zoom. I've told you these things verse 33, that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. There is nothing that can happen in this life to knock Jesus off the throne. Your present troubles have not caught God God off guard. It wasn't like he's sitting in front of the TV flipping channels and then looking down and going, oh, I missed that one. If God is sovereign, and I believe that he is, he knows exactly what you're going through right now. In this world, you will have trouble, but he's overcome the world. Peace in the midst of grief, but joyous the grief nevertheless. That's what I found in my grief. D.A. Carson said this in his book, The God Who Is There. At the end of the day, to understand Christianity, sooner or later you must come to grips with Christianity's revelation claims. What do you do with Jesus, who claims to come from God, to be one with God, who gives you information about things that you cannot otherwise have information about. No one has made a trip there, taken notes, come back, and filed a report. This is either true or it is the most unmitigated garbage and blasphemous silliness. But there is no way that you can walk away from this thinking, well, Jesus is just a nice moralizing teacher. 
The reason why Jesus could speak about being born again with the authority and confidence he displayed is bound up in his identity. To dismiss what he says is to deny who he is. This last week I got to talk with a, a guy outside of Matthew's school when I was waking, waiting for him to come out. Parents pull up and wait, and sometimes we talk to one another and just kind of chit-chat. We've talked about the Broncos because I'm always in Broncos gear. And at one point, he, he asked me about that, and I said, well, I grew up there, and what about your wife? Well, she grew up in Ukraine. By the way, she grew up in Ukraine. And he's like, oh, man, in high school, I dated a Ukrainian girl. But her mom wasn't too hip on her daughter dating a Jewish guy. So that didn't work out. So things are going off in my head like, ooh, hey. Uh, in Ukraine, it's Orthodox Christianity. That's, that's just what you say. Okay? Many are practicing, but many are, hey, I'm Orthodox, and what they mean by that is I baptize my baby in the Orthodox Church, and I go on Christmas and Easter to, to service. And so we had another conversation, and I said, now, you said the other day you're you're Jewish. He said, yeah. I said, well, are you practicing? Because I, I, I've met people before who would say they're Jewish and they're just culturally Jewish. And he said, oh yeah. And he started telling me about all these holidays and things he celebrate. And so I, I began to talk with him about Jesus and asked him who he said or who he thought Jesus was. And he didn't believe Jesus was the Messiah. There are some what they call Messianic Jews, Jews for Jesus. They believe that Jesus fulfilled, but they still practice a lot of the traditional Jewish practices. But he wasn't one of those guys. He believed that Jesus was here on earth, but he didn't believe that Jesus was who he said he is. And he certainly didn't believe Jesus was the Messiah. Who do you say Jesus is? Why do you think Jesus came? Do you believe that God demonstrated his own love for us in this while we were still sinners, Christ died for us? And that's all of us. Because that's what Romans 3.23 says, all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Even though the wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Who do you say Jesus is? Who will you say Jesus is when we observe communion today? Let's pray.